the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Friday, March 1st, 2024, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 342 and 343. Make sure to subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree to take the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the first of our two big Friday editions of the show today. I'm Ro, Noah's here as well. We've got an incredible all-star lineup coming in to join us today. Tennessee Congressman Andy Eagles and Tim Burchett will be joining us. We'll be sitting down with Indiana Congresswoman Aaron Hochin for the first time. New York Young Republican Club President Gavin Wax will be joining us. Christina Bob will be in to do a little bit of the news. And the Heritage Foundation's Jake Denton will be joining us as well. Lots of breaking news. We're going to get through all of these headlines today. Joe Biden and Donald Trump did dueling visits down to the U.S. southern border this week. We'll analyze. We avoided a government shutdown yesterday with the passing of another CR. But what does it really mean for the big scheme of things? We'll take a look. Donald Trump cleaned up in the Michigan primary this week. But there was more of a stern message delivered to Joe Biden from the Democrats. And Hunter Biden, Lloyd Austin, and Mitch McConnell. Oh, my. Have no idea what I'm talking about? We'll clarify. But before we jump into any of our interviews, let's get right into these headlines and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! All right, everybody, welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. I'm Roan. Noah's going to be joining me just a bit. But getting things started today on the first of two Big Friday editions, I am joined by author, attorney, great friend of the show, Ms. Christina Bob. Welcome back. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm always excited to be with you, Roan. And it's always a pleasure to host you, especially on uh, the first of our two Big Friday editions of the show today. So getting things started, we are going to be talking about Donald Trump and Joe Biden's visit to the U.S. southern border yesterday. It's definitely a tale of two visits, to say the least. Christina, <laughs> you, pro- you probably watched all of this unfold in real time in TV. We had the Chad, Donald Trump, his iconic red, white, and blue suit, looking fit. Yeah. Looking energetic, being loved up by the military and the Border Patrol and all the people that were down there, Governor Greg Abbott, of course, even loved by the illegals on the other side of the Rio Grande, believe it or not. And then you had Joe Biden, who looked like a malfunctioning robot, who honestly, mm-hmm. and, and you know, Donald Trump says it, it's funny to make fun of, but he couldn't put two sentences together. He's talking about his exes on the floor where he needs to stand. And as soon as he starts talking about the border, jumps right into climate change. So as you kind of saw this go down yesterday, and it's becoming more apparent now that these are more than likely going to be the two choices that Americans have when they go to the ballot box in November. Uh, Unfortunate for the Democrats, very good for us. What is the compare and contrast that you're seeing from this? I mean, I really can't believe that the the Democrat Party and, you know, all the Obama holdovers are just going to try to literally ride Joe Biden until the wheels fall off. Yeah. Um, No, I think they're trying to get rid of him, but in order to do so, they need him to cooperate with them, right? They need him to agree to step aside. Um, and he, at the moment, he's not agreeing to do so. But as far as the the border trips go, I think it's, it's a really interesting time for Americans to be watching the political landscape because you, you are able to see things that the, that the media cannot cover up, right? The media does such a good job of, spinning things and 
changing things that quite frequently just confuses the American public or it le leads the American people to believe what whatever that news outlet is wants the people to believe. But it's so starkly transparent right now that I think even media outlets are having a hard time spinning things. They can't, they cannot cover for Joe Biden. They can't cover for the fact that Donald Trump went to Eagle Pass and Joe Biden went to Brownsville, which Brownsville is no joke. Like nowhere on the border is like nice and easy. Right. But but Brownsville is not the heart of the matter. Brownsville was not where a lot of these real confrontations were taking place. And Donald Trump went to the heart of the matter. He went to the root of the problem. He met with the governor. He wanted to, you know, he's been to the border many, many times, but he wanted to see for himself what was going on because he's running for president. And he has a plan to correct this, just like he did last time he was in office. And Joe Biden, you see a bunch of, you know, stand on your ex type uh, photo ops. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's fake. It, it, how could we possibly have a faker scenario compared to the real thing than what we did yesterday? It was wild, you know, and and then when I see the media trying to cover it, I, I watch both sides of the aisle when it comes to the news and how it's distributed to the American public. I mean, we try to change the way that people consume it here on Steak for Breakfast, pun intended. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, even MSNBC and CBS, they had to go more back on, you know, falling on Donald Trump being a threat to democracy and a Russian asset. And let's talk about all of his legal cases, because when you looked at the optics of this right here, it was really bad. And, yeah. and you know, you just... You can't take out of context the fact that Donald Trump has uh, followed up on his words and he plans to build on a lot of the policies and achievements he had during his first terms. Border security, obviously, is one of them. I've even seen recently, you know, the Biden administration says, oh, well, we've deported so much more than Donald Trump was able to do in the course of his four years. You've also let in 100 times more of the people that were able to come in when Donald Trump was the president. In addition to that, Donald Trump had about 4 million people staged on the other side of the border in Mexico when he left office due to the uh, remain in Mexico policies. And you really technically can't deport people if they're not illegally allowed to enter into the country. So they're kind of playing hypocrisy when they try to spin their own narrative. But the fact of the matter is it was on display for the American public to see yesterday. And uh, we're going to start off with a little montage talking about how they built up that spin leading right into it. Let's hear it. Does it tell you Thanks, that both President Biden and Donald Trump are going to be at the border on the same day? Here, it's, there's a difference here, and I want to be very clear about this because the president is going to, as you just said, Brownsville, Texas, to hear directly from the Border Patrol agents, to hear directly from the frontline personnel on what is going on on the ground. And let's not forget, the president was at the border just about a year ago in January of 2023 to do the same. This is not about politics for the president. People need to understand, President Trump had illegal immigration down 83 to 90 percent. So when 83 to 90 percent less people were coming across the border, how many women didn't get sexually assaulted by the cartels? How many aliens didn't drown in the river or die in the desert? How many Americans didn't die from fentanyl overdoses because the border was secure, less fentanyl is coming across? How many known suspected terrorists didn't get into the country? Under President Biden, we have over 1,700 migrants have died in U.S. soil, our historic record. Over 100,000 Americans dead from fentanyl overdoses, an historic record. Over 300 people on the terrorist watch list arrested since he's been in office just on the southwest border, twice as many on the northern border that we don't even talk about. Historic record. So President Trump's policies save lives. A secure border saves lives. Border barrier saves lives. I've worked with six presidents. I've seen policies come and go. I know what policies work. I know what policies don't. 
President Trump was a game changer, and we saved thousands of lives by securing that uh, southern border. Congress back in session. What are you doing to prepare for the possible impeachment trial? And have you spoken to any lawmakers in Congress? Uh, I have been incredibly busy with the work of the Department of Homeland Security. That's my exclusive focus. This is, this is total contempt for the American people. For Joe Biden to go stand in some parking lot three years after he opened the border and say, oh, see, look, you know, it's really, it's working. My policies are working. This is an outrage. It is the middle finger to middle America, and it's time he was held accountable for it. Now, Christina, that was definitely uh, Fifty Shades of MAGA and everything in between there. You've heard it from both sides of the aisle. Obviously, we finished right there with Missouri Senator Josh Hawley talking about middle fingers to the American people. Tom Homan reached back and, and, you know, championed some of the policies which gave us the strongest border and then what it looks like now. Alejandro Mayorkas, who's the embattled DA secretary, looking to uh, avoid a Senate hearing for his impeachment, saying that he's way too busy to think about it. And then KGP adding all the spin to the entire narrative, saying how this is not a photo op for the Biden administration, when we all know certainly that's the only thing that it was. Yeah, that that is the only thing that it was. And I, I love hearing those mega clips because they're so clear and obviously true. You know, it's nice, especially Josh Hawley's clip. That was my favorite. It's just nice to hear um, someone frustrated and angry with what this administration is doing and say it in a way that is actually clear and concise and, ac- and you know, factually accurate. So, yeah, I, I think... I think the American people are starting to understand what's happening. And we're going to get to just uh, some of the new ways that their eyes have been opened. Unfortunately, it, it comes in a tragic sense. But before we get to that, we'll start with Donald Trump. He had his speaking event down on the U.S. southern border in Eagle Pass yesterday. He was flanked by members of the, of the Texas National Guard, DPS, some of the sheriffs out there who lend a hand to border security. And, of course, on the invitation of Brandon Judge, the Border Patrol president of their union and Texas governor, Greg Abbott, who is one of Donald Trump's strongest allies, especially in the fight to secure the border. Let's hear President Trump as he kicked off. Let everybody know how bad of a president Joe Biden really is. Uh, The uh, reports have come out and we've been covering them and everybody's been. And I spoke to the parents of an incredible young lady and you you saw her the other day. You saw what happened the other day in Georgia. And the parents are devastated. They're incredible people. But this is a Joe Biden invasion. This is a Biden invasion over the past three years. I call him Crooked Joe because he's crooked. He's a terrible president, the worst president our country's ever had, uh, probably the most incompetent president we've ever had. But it's uh, allowing thousands and thousands of people to come in from China, Iran, Yemen, the Congo, Syria, And a lot of other nations, many nations, are not very friendly to us. He's transported the entire columns of uh, fighting-aged men, and they're all at a certain age. And you look at them, and they say, they look like warriors to me. Something's going on that's bad. Now the United States is being overrun by the Biden migrant crime. It's a new form of uh, vicious violation to our country. It's migrant crime. We call it Biden migrant crime, but that's a little bit long. So we'll just leave it. But every time you hear the term migrant crime, you know where that comes from, allowing thousands and thousands and actually millions and millions of people to come. Could be 15 million, could be 18 million by the time he uh, gets out of office, because hopefully the biggest risk we have is nine months. That's a long time. A lot of bad things can happen. As I always say, 
in speeches and rallies, it's if you take the 10 worst presidents in the history of our country and you added them all up, all of the problems, all of the lousy jobs they've done, you can add them all up. It's not as bad as this one man has done for our country. What he's done to our country is he's destroying our country. Now, Christina, you know, one of the things I... So Brownsville, after they had their incident there a little over a year ago where they were completely inundated with migrants over the course of a 10-day period, it made national news. They closed the airspace, so news outlets couldn't fly their drones over it. And you've had, you know, every reporter who's good for on-the-ground coverage there 24-7, and it was just a mess for the Biden administration. That place has been fortified since. And, you know, from how clean it looked yesterday in addition to Fox News even reported that the boat that they threw in the water over there in Brownsville, Texas, followed Joe Biden's motorcade out because they use it as a prop. And there was so little amount of illegal aliens crossing there that it would be a waste of resources to leave it. I just thought that was wild that the news would actually cover that. And, you know, President Trump goes down to Eagle Pass, uh, they're on the heels still, just a couple weeks out from that historic Supreme Court ruling. Governor Greg Abbott's in defiance of it right now, in defiance of you know the Department of Homeland Security and, and the Biden regime, holding the line pretty much. And, and, and when you look at the amount of numbers, just over the last five days leading up to Donald Trump and, and Joe Biden's visit down to the border, here's Brownsville, Texas. Five-day totals of apprehensions, 6-12-0-22-6. That's where Joe Biden was. In Eagle Pass, where Donald Trump went, 500, 558, 563, 152, 333. I mean, when you're talking about going down to not only identify, but address the problem for the American people, it seems like, again, Team Trump picks up the big W, and Joe Biden went down there, looked very uncomfortable, and it, it was honestly just for show. Of course it was just for show. Joe Biden doesn't have the ability to articulate what he wants to do with the border. They're still hoping that the American people will believe there's not a problem at the border. Um, so all Joe Biden has is for show. The problem is his show doesn't work anymore and the American people are beginning to see it. The wheels are falling off of his traveling carnival and uh, the American public, I think, are starting to recognize it with the number, the, just the vast number of blatant injustice to regular everyday American people that is is rampant across our country. You see it on social media all the time. You see it in the news where people are murdered. But even just on social media, people walking down the streets of New York or Chicago or wherever, and you have all these illegal immigrants throwing things at them and yep. threatening them and attacking them. This is our country. This is not their country. So I think Americans are looking at that going, whoa, like maybe maybe we have a problem. It's funny, I, I've actually seen a lot of pundits on the left go out over the course of the last 72 hours, and you know they say that MAGA Republicans like to inflate the numbers of the amount of people, saying that it's already crossed the threshold of 10 million people into this country, and they want to highlight like four crimes that happened in America by people who were either previously deported or removed under Donald Trump, and all of them were allowed back in under Joe Biden. And when you look at how that twist of reality and how dark and disgusting that is and just a big F you to the American people and the loss of life and, and tragedies that we're seeing at the hands of, listen, I saw a report that came out this week. Venezuela has a 22-year low in crime across the country. <laughs> oh, amazing. Crazy how that happened, isn't it? Donald Trump's been saying they've been emptying out their prisons and mental institutions and all their bad places and sending them up to the United States for years now. And, and then that report comes out. I just thought it, it actually made me laugh just like that when I first saw it. 
But sticking to the serious thread here, Donald Trump did touch on one of the most recent tragedies, the one that happened to the nursing student, Lake and Riley, in Athens, Georgia, last week when she was attacked, assaulted, and eventually murdered by an illegal alien who was deported during the Trump administration and allowed to return in under fake asylum guys under Joe Biden's watch. Let's hear him. One week ago, a beautiful 22-year-old nursing student from Georgia was barbarically attacked, almost unrecognizable, while she was out on her morning run. She was a morning run. She was doing a keep herself in shape. She was a beautiful young woman. She was a great person, best nursing student there was. I spoke to her parents yesterday. They're incredible people. They're devastated beyond, beyond belief. But she was beautiful, just so beautiful in so many ways and brutally assaulted, horrifically beaten, kidnapped and savagely murdered. The monster that charged uh, charged in the death is an illegal alien migrant who was led into our country and released into our communities by crooked Joe Biden. He's crooked. I took the name away from Hillary (laughs) because she's no longer relevant, I guess. She was terrible, but he is what he is doing is just unbelievable. Joe Biden will never say Lake and Riley's name, but we will say it and we will remember it. We're not going to forget her. It's been just a horrible story that we've had to live with for the last few days. It's hard to believe. And her parents are just, they can never be the same. You know, I actually got chills watching the the remarks Donald Trump was given live when he said he talked to the parents yesterday because it 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 goes without saying. Like, you know, if you see some trans uh, influencer on social media get bullied, they'll like have a, during the White House press pool, like party for them, recognition, participation trophy, etc. This person was just an average citizen who was trying to become a better person and fulfill her dreams of, of eventually becoming a nurse who just walked out the door one day. Like we always try to stay on the show. It's affecting everybody in every community across the country. You have to be able to look over your shoulders. This woman obviously did. I mean, uh, more as the story continues to develop, they said the severity of how she was murdered is due to the fact that she probably fought back. And, you know, when you look at the fact that Donald Trump had reached out and already talked to the family, he's not the president of the United States. He's not in charge of anything right now except running Mm -hmm. his campaign and trying to get the White House back. And whether it's things like the families from Afghanistan who lost loved ones, what happened in East Palestine, Ohio, what's been going on on the U.S. southern border, or unfortunate tragedies like this, Donald Trump is beating everybody to the punch, and I think that's been a component of his campaign that, number one, you can't project, and and number two, has just overwhelmingly been a value and an asset to the the total game that he brings to the table. Yes. I mean, he he really is amazing when he does things like this. I mean, I know that he gives birthday notes to people and he makes phone calls and tragedies. He tries to encourage people, let these parents know that their daughter is known, that her death isn't just a number. Um, Unfortunately, there are so many numbers out there uh, because of what Joe Biden has done to this country. But um, I mean, Donald, Donald Trump is uh, you know, he's, he really is amazing with how much he interacts with everyday Americans and how much he tries to um, just relate to to Americans and parents who lost a child or, you know, whatever whatever the scenario is. He really, he does it better than anybody. Yeah, he certainly does. And, you know, the memory he has and the things that 
He really likes to hammer home. Sometimes when he says it for the first time or mentions it, even when I talk to people who are around him on the team and they're like, well, I really don't see what the angle of that is. And then you kind of see it develop in real time and how important it is to average everyday people to, to feel included, to be remembered and to be acknowledged by someone like Donald Trump. It, it goes a long way. Uh, you know, on, on a little bit of a lighter note, and, and before we jump over to, well, some of the things that Joe Biden tried to say, uh, Donald Trump, I don't know if you've noticed, Christina, has been hitting Gavin Newsom a little bit harder than usual on the campaign trail, called him out, said he was a complete hack, and then the worst governor in America uh, up in Michigan last week. He's mentioned him a couple times. You know, Gavin Newsom made some comments about Donald Trump recently in an interview with Sean Hannity. He also has been hyping up Nikki Haley's fake candidacy as she's getting ready to hopefully be out of this race after Super Tuesday. But he continued to hit the California governor down in Eagle Pass yesterday. Let's hear it. The most secure border and people weren't coming because they knew they weren't going to get in. And we weren't promising free education, free medical, free everything. I mean, all the promises that are made. No wonder they come. I mean, uh, you look at what this governor, Newscum from <laughs> California, isn't that his name, Newscum? Uh, what he's done to California is unbelievable. People are pouring in. They think they're going to get medical aid. And our soldiers, our vets aren't being taken care of. But people that come into our country illegally are. It's funny because he'll always keep Hillary in his peripheral vision by calling her beautiful Hillary. We all know she's hideous and saying <laughs> that he took her name of crooked to give it to Joe Biden. And he'll, he'll always find some time in, in his speaking events when he's delivering remarks to hit the Obamas just in case Michelle Obama's thinking about getting in this race. And now Gavin Newsom, it seems like in addition to Joe Biden, everybody who could potentially replace mm -hmm. him at the convention if they try to broker something, it seems like that he's already landing jabs. I think it's a great campaign strategy and one that's not going to seem like they're surprised about if any of these other people get in the race, don't you think? Yeah, I do. I also think I really hope that the American people are appalled that this is how the Democrat Party is running their election, running their party, running their campaign, their candidate, I should say, because why can't they just be honest and straightforward and say, you know, Joe Biden's not our candidate. We're putting Gavin Newsom in. They want to keep their incumbent in there as long as they can, because he's not willing to step down and they don't want to look like they have a rift in their party when the incumbent president is going, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm doing this. I'm running this race. When supposedly he was supposed to be the most popular president in American history. And oh, by the way, he got 81 million votes and the election was totally legitimate and secure. Um, and then less than a term later, they have to say, yeah, he's not competent. Uh, so their their narrative is falling apart and they have to the only way they believe that they stand a chance is to deceive the American people. And they're hoping the American people aren't paying attention and that they go, oh, that's so weird. I never saw a switcheroo at the camp uh, at the convention coming. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to call out. And I think it's going to be something that's going to continue to develop for as bad as Joe Biden continues to look when he's out there on the trail. Guys, wherever you're listening to the podcast today, no matter what platform it's on, make sure you're subscribed to Steak for Breakfast. Make sure you're sharing it with friends. We're on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. And then find us on social media. Twitter, Getter, Truth Social, and Instagram is where we have accounts. Find them, follow them, hit the notification bell. Never miss out on all the great stuff we've got here on the show, like when Christina Bob comes in to guest host with us for a new segment. All right, so we got to play a little bit of the Joe Biden. We did get all the good Donald Trump stuff. I am going to start out right here with a tweet that came from the Border Patrol Union official account yesterday. That's Brandon Judd rattling it off before they hit the ground. Uh, President Trump treats BP agents with respect, supports the mission, and listens to their ideals. 
Joe Biden falsely accuses the agents of crimes, burn the border down to the ground, and only listens to the radical left base. Do you see the difference? So I guess uh, where you heard some people from the Biden regime, like KJP and John Kirby, question why Joe Biden wasn't extended an invitation from the Border Patrol Union when he announced he was going to go down there. Brandon Judge, I guess, nicely answered. Not really nicely. They, they, they absolutely hate his guts. Speaking of which, they hate Alejandro Mayorkas too, probably the worst cabinet member in the history of our government. First one impeached in about 150 years. And no one has more spin or doesn't have enough data than Alejandro Mayorkas does. He let in for Joe Biden's speaking event yesterday down in Brownsville, Texas. Let's hear him. Second, you heard about the dynamic and challenging phenomenon of irregular migration we face as our hemisphere and the world experience the greatest displacement of people since World War II. Irregular migration and the greatest displacement of people since World War II. It sounds like to incur something like that, Christina, you would have to maybe either invite, entice, or both people from the third world to come here. Don't you agree? That is a crazy soundbite. I had not heard that or, or hadn't caught on to that. That is astonishing that he would even say something like that. To compare this migration to the displacement of World War II, when you literally had like almost every country on the planet or every, you know, most of the continents on the planet involved in a actual physical kinetic war. And then and then to what we're currently facing, you're hundred percent right. The displacement has to come from somewhere. There has to be an event that causes it. It doesn't just spontaneously happen. What is that event? It has to be an invitation from the president of the United States to invade our nation. And then, God forbid you ever circle back to that. We saw Joe Biden in, on the debate stage in 2019 against Bernie Williams saying that he hopes all of these people come here. Alejandro Mayorkas following up on that when he was appointed DHS secretary saying that they're ready for it. And then when Joe Biden gets up to the speaking event yesterday, of course, he talks directly about that. Let's hear it. Idea, there's no such thing as climate change. I love that, man. I love some of my Neanderthal friends uh, who still think there's no climate change. So climate change is the driving force behind the over 10 million people who have poured into this country over the last three and a half years, Christina. Right. Climate change. That's that's the problem. The craziest part about that is the reason they keep hammering it is because it it has historically worked. I mean, look at how many people are now major spending a hundred or a couple hundred grand to go to college to study climate change and then tell everybody how it's destroying the world. It's the biggest farce ever. Like the, the wool has been pulled <laughs> over our eyes to a degree that is unfathomable. It's so it's beyond stupid, but that's why they do it. They do it because there are people, and I hate to say that I'm, I am in that demo, Demographic. It's usually white women who are reasonably affluent with college degrees, multiple educations um, that buy into it. And then they go out and like make everybody else's life miserable. And then because all of these crazy white chicks are making everyone's life miserable, everyone just goes, God, okay, fine. You know, and they give in. It's crazy. On behalf of Stake for Records, we want to thank you for breaking all those glass ceilings. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. No, for, for, forget about it. You, you, listen, Marine, attorney, served in the Trump administration, author, 
you are none of those things. You don't make anybody's life miserable except the radical progressive left who are trying to shove <laughs> oh, all those Thank people. you. Every, every time I see statistics about white middle-aged women with multiple educations that are reasonably affluent, I'm just like, I'm in the minority. I'm in the minority. Okay. <laughs> I just want to go on the record as saying Christina Bob is not middle-aged. Don't put herself there. <laughs> we won't let you do that on the show. That, that, was, that was a weird comment from you, but not as weird as the challenge that Joe Biden issued towards the end of his very brief speaking event down in, in Brownsville, Texas yesterday, where we all know that Speaker Johnson has shelved the Senate agreement, uh, their, their version of the border security bill, which essentially opens up the door for amnesty. And, and Joe Biden would like to form a coalition of current and former presidents to uh, make sure that they can pressure the House and Senate to get that bill passed. Let's hear it. Let me end with this. I understand my predecessor's legal past today. So here's what I would say to Mr. Trump. Instead of playing politics with this issue, instead of telling members of Congress to block this legislation, join me, or I'll join you, in telling the Congress to pass this bipartisan border security bill. We can do it together. You know and I know. It's the toughest, most efficient, most effective border security bill this country has ever seen. So instead of playing politics with the issue, why don't we just get together and get it done? Let's remember who the heck we work for. We work for the American people, not the Democratic Party, the Republican Party. We work for the American people. And honest with you, I, I'm kind of retarded. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's amazing how bold-faced he can lie consistently. Like, it's so clear that he has just been lying through his teeth for decades, and now he's lost his mind, and he doesn't realize that people can tell he's lying. It's funny because uh, I'm wondering how hard they smacked him around in the uh, the limousine on the way over from the airport to the speaking event in, in Brownsville yesterday. And, and the reason is, man, it just seemed like it seemed like he was shell shocked. And then when he got up to finally speak, and, and they jostled him a little bit, he went straight to like grouchy Joe Biden, where he's like almost yelling at the people by the end of it. And for such a national tragedy that we're going through down on the U.S. southern border and, and all the things that we've been able to uh, enjoy on behalf of Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas because of it, it just seems like, you know, anybody would know, any campaign person would know, there has to be a little bit of tenderness in the delivery here. You heard it from Donald Trump. He's going to go out and call Joe Biden the worst president ever. He's going to make fun of Gavin Newsom and unveil the new nickname for him. But at the end of the day, he was able to, to talk about the murder of that nursing student from Georgia and really make it uh, give a human component to it that we just don't see from anybody in this administration. You saw it all week up on Capitol Hill, whether it was Hunter Biden saying that, like, when I'm in trouble, I'm an addict. When I look smart, I'm a genius. Lloyd Austin taking no accountability for what he did when he went AWOL during Christmas. And then what's going on with this trip down to the border? This literally is a tyrannical regime, and it's really hard to look at it any other way. Yeah, I mean, we... I, I, it's not, we're pretty close to a fascist country. We, we really are. I mean, when you're, when you have police show up at your house for what you're saying or, you know, for protesting January 6th, or, um, I mean, we, when everyday American citizens are concerned about how the government is going to use their authority against them, I mean, that's a real dangerous place to be as a country. No, it certainly is. I mean, we saw a reporter from The Blaze who had 
press credentials and and provided coverage outside of the Capitol on January 6th, turned himself in and was perp-walked and arrested today by the FBI. It's just wild the way that this stuff is going now. We know that they're going to try and burn down as much as possible between now and November. The only thing we could do is continue to promote what the alternative looks like on the other end of the ballot box. That's why we bring in the experts and great friends like you, Christina. We're going to be live linking everything in the show description today, a link to your book, obviously, everything to do with President Trump, and then wherever we could find you on social media, where's that? Yep, Instagram and X. Christina underscore Bob and Truth Social, Christina Bob. And we'll be looking to circle back with you soon. This is author, attorney, great friend of the show, getting things started on the first of two all-new Friday editions of Steak for Breakfast podcast. Today, Ms. Christina Bob, thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. Thanks. Guys, we're getting ready to jump in with Tennessee Congressman Tim Burchett right now. But before we do, let's check in with one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code steak here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us first on the podcast today, he's the congressman representing Tennessee's 2nd Congressional District, Representative Tim Burchett. Welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, I wish it was under better means. I did see the video you put out on your social media yesterday. Very disappointed about the new step added to the ladder of the continuing resolutions that are funding our government right now. Congressman, we wanted to get a little bit of commentary on that from our listenership. How you seen it went down? We know there's a couple options uh, moving forward. There's a possibility of a one-year CR. There's a possibility of using the 12 appropriation bills. But this all has to get figured out in about 22 days. What do you think? Well, it's- it's the situation normal, really. You know, you push you up against a – traditionally, the reason they do this is they push you up against a deadline. And, you know, you've got a project in your district that needs to be funded. And, you know, that's why we're $35 trillion in debt. You read down a 2,000-page bill and page 218 has all the stuff in there that you need or what lobbyist on K Street you need to be greasing. And, um, and then, you know what? That gummit, you end up voting for it. And that's that's what's happened in the past. But there's a few of us that have said enough is enough. And we're not going to vote for these things. I've, I've never voted for a CR since I've been in Congress. Um, I guess the last four or five of them or whatever, I think, is. And it just, you know, it it's just a continued. It says a conti- just what the name says, continued resolution. It's a continuation of funding bad policies. And we haven't done anything about our dadgum border. It's just, you know, the Uniparty wins out and the working people and they always the left does a better job at protesting this, their, the stuff they don't like. And the reason is a lot of them are on government jobs, you know, or not working at all. They're professional protesters <laughs> and are too busy out, you know, earning a living, taking their kids to scouts or soccer or going to church on Wednesday nights, going to prayer meetings. They don't. They just don't have the time to get out and do this kind of stuff and pick it and do all this nonsense that gets done a lot of times that draws all the attention. 
And so we're, we're stuck. We're in a bad position. Um, I think it's, it's bad uh, fiscal policy. You know, I was in the legislature 16 years in Tennessee and a lot of people complain about what's going on in what about Tennessee. But the reality is, you know, dad it's, it's a well-run state, zero debt, incredible bond rating, a lot like Knox County was when I was mayor, we paid down debt. And um, I think when I left office, we paid, 60 or 70 million dollars not a whole lot by federal standards but knox <laughs> county standards you know sure. so um we got a lot of work to do and we gotta we just gotta figure out what's important to us and we've got to educate the public on this what's going on with these things and congress is the country's checkbook and we need to start acting responsibly about it so that's sorry. I went on too long there. Too well, much caffeine today. You want to know what you have to be able to lay it out there so the people could best understand it. Because, you know, I, I think a lot of people see uh, some of these interviews that happen on cable news. You could jump on uh, Twitter or X as it's called now and see the, the usual, the Chip Roy having an absolute meltdown the day the CR is about to get signed. Uh, you know, Dan Crenshaw going on CNN and saying, well, like, if, if, if you don't vote for it, you hate the military. And it just seems to be coming like a groundhog day uh, every single time one of these things come up for a vote. But here's the thing. Now that we have what Speaker Johnson is essentially alluding to as the final CR that he's going to see for this year, are, are we going to be able to find a way to either one of these options, either the year long or the, or the 12 appropriations bills? In, in your opinion, do you think we could get to either one of those? Yeah, you know, what they'll do is enough people will, will um, well, it is an election year, so that throws a monkey wrench in a lot of it. But I I think they'll have enough people to do it. Enough of us will cry and scream. 99 of us, I think it was this last time, or maybe 100, I don't know. Yep. The last looked at 99, I believe that's what it was. And um, I think they'll probably end up doing something like that again. And we'll continue down this this unending path to destruction, you know, 35 trillion in debt. I mean, my gosh, that just, that should be unacceptable to the American public, but you know, like again, again, they don't see it. And then, um, it just, we just getting consumed with this debt and we're just used to it. And if I got to hear some other idiot say something about healthy debt, there's no such thing as healthy debt. Well, sure is there's healthy bankers. There's healthy. There's healthy Chinese because that's who we're borrowing this money from. But debt is never healthy. As Dave Ramsey likes to say, debt is dumb, and it's just it's getting stupider and stupider. <laughs> you know what? It, it it sounds a little cliche, but it's a good point you make. I mean, that national debt is going to be cruising past thirty-seven trillion next year. In addition, we're already running up on the calendar that House Republicans wanted to get working on an appropriations bill for next year. So it's going to be interesting to see how the next three weeks kind of shake out. But uh, I, I think I'm at the same optimism level as you are right now, Congressman. I'm not going to touch on, on border security because it looks like it's shelved for the moment. But we did see a lot of activity on the U.S. southern border in the last 24 hours. Former President Donald Trump, who's going to be the presumptive nominee, he should lock it up by... I think March 12th, if I'm looking at the calendar correctly, and, and current President Joe Biden made trips to different parts of the U.S. southern border in Texas yesterday, a fortified Brownsville for Joe Biden, and a little bit, uh, I guess, looser when it comes to security, so much so that Donald Trump was able to wave to the illegals across the Rio Grande down in Eagle Pass. You probably watched some of this in real time, or at least caught some commentary on it in the evening, Congressman. How did you feel 
seeing the current president of the United States kind of shuffle around and then talk about climate change and blame House Republicans for the reason why 10 million illegals plus have crossed the U.S. southern border since he took office, in addition to what Donald Trump was able to kind of promote, which would be getting back to those Trump-era policies, plus the largest deportation operation in the history of this country come January 2025. Well, I saw a complete capitulation of our national media in any kind of morals that they had, if they had any, by allowing him to continue with those lies. Nobody's buying it. That's why he's down on the border. His polling is tanked, and he knows that 85% of the population in some areas thinks that the border is the number one issue. There is no other issue. They know that we're spending $400 billion a year. We're giving these people credit cards, plane tickets, clothing, health care. And um, yeah, and I know there's a lot of them up here because they got, you know, they're trying to do better for their family. And I get that. But that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is the people I represent in Tennessee, and they tell me they're fed up with it. And uh, Joe Biden is a joke. This guy's a dawdling old man. We are yielding to the national chambers of commerce, not your local chamber of commerce that you, you know, that cuts the ribbon on the new subway station that's opening up, you know, and that kind of thing. We're talking about a national chamber, the national chamber that endorsed 14, I believe it was, of Nancy Pelosi's lieutenants yep. and help keep the majority in the state house. This, these people are openly Marxist. They hate our system. They hate our system of government. They hate our flag. They hate our religious beliefs, everything that we've stood for. And yet they continue to, um, to, to trash it and we're allowed to do it. That's what I saw when I see this president and I see him down in Me down on our Mexican border because his was a completely staged, purified, if you will, uh, setting. Trump was there where it was raw and where it was real. And, you know, I've been to the border. I didn't go with the with the group on the big photo op <laughs> that they all and I went down with Andy, um, Andy Biggs. He organized it, three or four of us and Andy, I just want to go down for a day. Show me what's going on. I'm going to go back to Tennessee because I don't need to see. I don't need a buffet and and a you know a PowerPoint presentation. I just want to see it for myself. And I did. And we talked to the agents who were very frustrated, who are not allowed to enforce the law. And they weren't saying what the president was saying. They weren't saying send us more money, send us you know more funding, more bureaucrat, more lawyers to do whatever. They said. Let us enforce the dadgum law. Yep. That's on the book. That's all they want to do. Enforce the law. And they're not being allowed to do that. And that's a disgrace. And this president is first and foremost out there. Every time we, where there is an immigration policy that has any decency in it, that's, that protects American workers and protects Americans, our national chambers of commerce block it. They're the ones in the room. These so-called bipartisan proposals are not bipartisan. You put one Republican in a room with a bunch of Democrats and they call it bipartisan. There's a reason senators get out front on these crazy issues is because the lobbyists want them to. And they know they don't have to run again for six more years. And nobody remembers it. They hardly remember the last vote you made in the House six minutes prior. You know, so it's this whole thing is a is a disgrace and the American public should be pissed off. And I hope they are this election cycle. The 20 million that decided to stay home because of a mean tweet 
I hope they they get their act together for this deal because we are going to flat out lose our country. This is this one is for all the marbles. Oh, it certainly is. You know, and and when you talk about that bipartisan Senate agreement, I mean, just some of the language in it, undocumented Americans and newcomers referring to the illegal aliens, it's it's very alarming and disturbing. You could see these third-party entities, the, the uniparty apparatus who's kind of out there and uh, working behind the scenes to push these narratives and try to familiarize and normalize it with the American public. Just can't let it happen. Like you said, we ha- we have a chance to Cut it off at the pass at the ballot box in November, and we need to kind of uh, do that. You did mention disgraces, though. I want to kind of stay in that thread. We had the Hunter Biden deposition behind closed doors uh, earlier this week. We were able to see some of the uh, narrative that came out from that. It seemed like whenever, you know, Hunter Biden looked smart, he was a former lawyer, naval officer, and whenever House Republicans tried to corner him in on some of the stuff that was going on. He was an addict that was dealing with this crippling addiction, and that's the only reason why bad stuff ever happened. In addition, all of his foreign business entities and partners were able to meet with Joe Biden only because he was inviting his father out to dinner, and it had nothing to do with the business aspect of it. I mean, you know it's a complete line of BS, Congressman, and uh, we're hoping for a public hearing, although it sounds like he's not too keen to that after what happened behind closed doors this week. But uh, I think the unveiling of the Biden crime family to the American public is something that House Republicans have done a good job with so far. But what do you think after kind of seeing him up on Capitol Hill this week? Well, I was, I guess, eight feet away from him, um, and I saw a very well structured, very well coached person. Mm, his law, when somebody would get under his skin, his lawyer would step in and with righteous indignation and call out whoever it be Matt Gates or whoever. And um, I think you, um, you know, the, the truth of the matter is our Justice Department is not going to do anything. Our U.S. Senate is not going to do anything. And do we go forward with this? And, you know, I submit to you, yeah, let's go forward with it. Let's see who doesn't vote for it. Sure. Let's let answer at the ballot box. Let them answer to the American people. And they'll say, oh, it's another loss for the Republicans. It's not a loss for the Republicans. It's going to be a long-term gain because I think the people are going to realize who they've sent to Washington. And they're not going to be able to hide behind uh, a no vote for impeachment or a no vote for any of these clowns because this is a crime family. Ask them what they, um, why was he taking money from a rush, two million from a Russian mayor's wife? Or, you know, and why did the IRS allow him to not apparently pay taxes? I haven't seen any proof of paying taxes on any of this stuff. Do you and I get that same courtesy of $20 million? Oh, no. I mean, he come after you on a fifth, you know, you got $500 mistake discrepancy, and man, you're, you're going to be, you better handle it or you're going to end up in trouble yeah, and be- have to pay it, even though they're, they're in the right. And because they know it's going to cost them more to pay, to, to go after them. Yep. To do else. Well, what about secretary Austin's hearing? I mean, he came to Congress looking oh, for grace and yeah. uh, you know, I, I think it was Matt Gates who, who, well, first of all, he had one of the house reps challenge him on the safer and secure America. And he was able to admit under Donald Trump, those policies definitely had that going on. But, you know, when Matt Gates challenged him on what he came to Congress looking for as he's being held to account for his inappropriate behavior, going AWOL, not communicating through the appropriate channels, the lack and lapse in national security and strategic readiness. And then he brings up the, the VAX mandates and the nearly 9,000 
thousand servicemen and women who were kicked out of the military because of it. And Lloyd Austin shut him right down and said, absolutely not. I wouldn't even think about revisiting that, even if I wanted to. And it just seems like these are some of the most loathsome, like un. Uh, you know, empathetic people I've ever seen in my life where there's no accountability and then the amount of elitism that they emit out of their persona is just something like we've never seen in government before at such a level across the board than with some of these Biden administration cabinet level officials. The disdain for the American military fighting, man, I, these, these rifles behind me, I, a lot of people ask me about those. Those are actually Japanese rifles that my dad, United States Marine, 19, 20, 21 years old, took off a dead Japanese soldiers that, that he had a part in killing. Mm. You know, I think about that. I think about that sacrifice and just how they're being slapped in the face by this military that's using men in dresses, you know, to talk to them about equality and stuff. You know, this is how far we've slipped. And this is why it's so important to get mad and get to the ballot box as soon as possible. State, federal, local. The liberals do a good job of filling in the gaps. Conservatives don't. We'll vote. You know, we'll go out and we'll maybe we'll show up for president. We'll elect a Ronald Reagan or a Donald Trump, but we don't give him the support he needs in the House or the Senate. Correct. And we just forget. We get cocky and we get arrogant and we get stupid. And we need to get past all three of those and humble ourselves and get to the polls. This guy, just to say that he could go AWOL without any retribution. You know, I don't know if you ever saw him during COVID outside. He had the mask on. He had a face shield. I mean, is that the message we're sending to our enemies overseas when we have some guy in a dress doing this kind of in, in, in charge of recruiting or what have you or addressing about equality? No, we fought a war basically in this country over over slavery or states rights what have you sure it can be but you know we've made some mistakes but we've we've i feel like we've done a really good job of correcting them and man we got a ways to go but these guys are they have they have left us they have complete disdain for what we stand for in this country no, it's the truth. I mean, I, I do remember what you're talking about. He looked like Darth Vader when he went over to the Philippines and got off the plane with his visor and his mask on and the, and the black gloves and all that stuff. It was, it was wild. Congressman, last thing I want to touch with you on, you, you talked about all those wonderful adjectives describing how the left looks at us. We are going to be, unfortunately, uh, partaking in the State of the Union address this coming week. Uh, we didn't have one the first year because of COVID. Last year, Joe Biden took about half of his speech to blame Donald Trump for everything that they have failed on and then blamed millions of voters for the reason why they're not doing better. I'm expecting more of the same. I'm pretty sure you're, you are as well. Do you... Uh, have anything as, as part of a preview for our listenership on what to expect? I suspect that's what it'll be. It'll have very little vision of what they want to do, and they will revision. It'll be a revisionist history lesson in, um, in, in telling telling us how great it is right now. When in fact, we know it that <laughs> several hundred dollars a month that, you know, that we're that Americans are paying it. Out, it's not just the pumps. It's at the, the grocery store, the medical care, flights, everything you can imagine, transportation. Everything is is just it's, it's out of control. And it's because this White House, they have no control over spending. They have no control with their morals. And um, 
and I think they're going to just try to tell us how great it is. And they'll, it'll go about 55 minutes because honestly, or 45 to 55, because that's as long as his medicine will last. <laughs> true story. That is a true story. And, um, and these latest, um, his medical exams where he wouldn't take a cognitive test to me is, is indicative of a bigger problem that we have with this guy. And it's, it's scary that whoever's running the country is not necessarily in the president's seat. And that, that, that should, that should scare the hell out of Americans. Yeah, it's wild. And uh, living under a third term of Barack Obama and all of his former administration officials, both present in the administration and behind the scenes, has been quite a trip for the American people. Luckily, within about 10 months, we'll be uh, making some big changes up there, both on Capitol Hill, in the Senate, and hopefully in the Oval Office. Congressman, this has been awesome catching up with you today, as it always is when you can join us on the show. We're going to be live linking your congressional website and your spicy handle in the show description today. But anybody that wants to follow you on the official account, where can they check you out? Uh, at Tim Burchett, you can Google it. It's all over the place on X and, and, um, that's my good handle is at Tim Burchett. That's my fun one. Um, and so, uh, I try to, that's the ones where I come off the house floor and just let y'all have it over what we just did to you. <laughs> and with that, I see a lot of people are doing that now, um, doing a lot of those now. There's a little more edited. I have my, my Twitter team or X team is you're looking at him pretty much. So, um, We've uh, we try to just keep it simple and keep it with the facts. And thank you all so much. Thank you, brother. Because honestly, it's um, and call me. I wish you'd call me Tim, not Congressman. Every time you say Congressman, I look over my shoulder from some eighty-five-year-old white guy that ain't heard the gun go off that's shuffling his feet and got about twelve handlers. No, Mitch McConnell's um, retiring. Yeah, that's in it, dude. Don't don't cuss me like that. <laughs> no, no, it's wish it, that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Absolutely. But, what you do because it people talk about you about your podcast and, and the truth that y'all put out and it is important it's what's it's what's really going to save our country i tell you what we're shining the light here on steak for breakfast we get to shake and bake when we sit down with you this is the congressman who's representing tennessee's second congressional district always a pleasure catching up with tim burchett thanks for joining us on the show have a great weekend thanks brother you do the same house mike johnson of louisiana mr speaker thank you for being with us um, first reports were that they ganged up on you yesterday. Joe Biden, Mitch McConnell, and Chuck Schumer. Any truth to that? Well, the reports were pretty accurate. They said that I was um, on an island by myself, and it was me versus everyone else in the room. What, what the liberal media doesn't understand, Sean, is that if you're here in Washington and you're described as a leader that's on an island by themselves, it probably means you're standing with the American people. And that's what I did yesterday. All right, jumping back into the news portion of the show on the second of two all-new Steak for Breakfast podcasts. Busy Friday here on the West Coast. As you just heard, that was Speaker Johnson, who earlier this week talked about the meeting of the Big Four they had up at the White House with Joe Biden, Chuck Schumer, Mitch McConnell, Hakeem Jeffries, and himself, where they didn't want to talk about border security, only wanted to talk about Ukraine security. They told him to shelve the Border Act. They told him to not talk about it. They told him to talk about getting the supplemental age package funded and passed through the House so the Senate could approve it and Joe Biden could get Zelensky more toys. Here's the thing. Yesterday, obviously, you know we avoided a government shutdown by passing another small continuing resolution. We'll now have another step added to the ladder. The first one will end, I believe, on March 9th, the second on March 22nd. We're looking at this from two different ways right now. One of two things can happen. 
The first one, as you already heard from Reps Burchett and Ogles today, we can finish the 12 appropriation bills. I believe there's four left, and they will be used in a one-year CR to fund the government for the rest of the fiscal year through October. That is what House Republicans said they wanted to do in the beginning. We'll see how much fight they actually have left in them to see if they can get that done. Or there's the other one where we'll have a year-long CR. It won't include the 12 appropriations bills. It'll stay at the current levels of spending. However, on April 30th, you'll have that Massey Amendment that was snuck by Joe Biden last year initiate a 1% cut of all government spending across the board. So those are the two things that we're going to see happen by March 22nd, most likely. Or we could have neither and maybe a government shutdown. So I have no idea. It doesn't sound like, based off of their frustration levels, House Republicans do at the moment right now. Um, I would say optimism is at an all-time medium, and we're just going to have to continue to play it by ear. Speaker Johnson alluded to previewing the dueling border visits by Donald Trump and Joe Biden later in that interview on Sean Hannity's show and was talking about, you know, not only getting stymied in that meeting of the big four, but the frustration levels you're seeing in the House of Representatives having passed H.R. 2 over seven months ago, and it's just sitting there collecting dust on Chuck Schumer's desk, much like the Ukraine supplemental aid packages in the Speaker of the House's office right now. Let's hear Speaker Johnson talk about border security and the catastrophe that's going on down the U.S. southern border. We passed H.R. 2 almost a year ago now. Chuck Schumer's let it sit on the desk collecting dust. We'll continue to push it, every piece of it, every initiative. Because, listen, now the catastrophe is having real-world consequences around the country, as you know. Violent crimes, brutal murders, uh, Lake and Riley and, and others that, uh, even in my home state of Louisiana, aggravated rape this past week by illegal aliens because Joe Biden is catching them and releasing them into the country. And it's caused an absolute catastrophic effect. And it will continue, Sean, sadly. So we have to push. The president has the executive authority to fix it right now. I told him at the White House yesterday, one-on-one and in the group, I told him, Mr. President, if you just issue an executive order that reinstates remain in Mexico, sir, the border patrol, your the own border patrol, your your agents told us it would, it would reduce the flow by 70%, almost overnight, because the message would go out throughout the world. Don't waste your life savings on a cartel. They're not going to be able to get you over the line stay where you are, stay in Mexico, stay in a safe third country. He won't do it, Sean. He told me that he, he didn't have the authority to do that. I said, that's just simply not true. President Trump did it. Why can't you do it? He said, oh, Mexico doesn't well, want that. Well, you're the president of the United it, States. You should act like it. You should act like it, you know. And that's another big thing. I saw this week there's been some, I guess we'll call them negative Nancys online, where people have been talking about the lack of deportations that's going on right now. And I just want to kind of explain something to our listenership and make it extremely clear. You know, for all the people who push back and say that all of these illegals, number one, don't belong here, number two, need to be removed as fast as possible, you are correct. However, by pushing back on people who argue the point, it's not just as easy as that, especially with an administration, a regime as weak as Joe Biden's, to send these people back where they belong. We had previously talked about on the show over the course of the last couple of weeks that Venezuela is no longer accepting repatriation flights, which means 
when they empty out their prisons and their mental institutions and insane asylums and send the best of the rest here, we cannot put them back on a plane and send them back to Venezuela. That makes perfect sense. As you would think. In addition, Mexico will not take back any of these people from other countries into their own. That was the benefit of MPP. They weren't allowed to cross in the first place. So here's the deal. Isn't there like a you touched it last policy? Poke it, you own it? (laughs) I think you're talking about uh, Pokemon or something like that. Here's the thing. Oh, that's got to catch them all. Mexico, in some instances, according to the reporting we've got along the border over the course of the last couple of years, won't even take back their own citizens sometimes. Mexico will claim that they're citizens of other countries and say, well, this person claims to be a Mexican citizen, but he looks Honduran or Guatemalan. Therefore, we don't want him. Come to find out this person has an extensive criminal record in Mexico, in addition to the one he's, well, resume building here in the United States. Mm. Exactly. Same thing goes with China. China does not take repatriation flights. You want to know why? As soon as those people get off the plane, they're either going to the gulag or they're going to the grave. Both of those entail a lot of work and even more erasing. So it's like one of those things. These people are coming in. There's a good chance that an overwhelming majority of them are going to have to be detained until Donald Trump can get back into the White House and do the things that we need to do to get these people going back to their countries. And that goes one of three ways. Tariffs, taxes, sanctions. That's when you'll see the return flights. Yeah, which is what the Biden administration is refusing to do. No, they like to erase all of those things and send pallets of cash instead for all of these countries sending their absolute worst here. And when you see the uptake of migrant crimes across the country now, I thought it was pretty funny. Donald Trump couldn't put it into words. (laughs) An eagle passed. He, He tried to... He just word saladed it, but he'll, he'll hit it in, in the rally. He's going to be in a place that I hold near and dear, one of my former residencies. He'll be in Greensboro, North Carolina on Saturday, um, pre-Super Tuesday, and looking to uh, pack the Greensboro Coliseum. It's quite a big arena. I'm going to be interesting to see if he can pack that thing to the gills. I'm thinking yes, based off of the amount of people yeah. that were showing up to his South Carolina rallies, but that is a that's a major stadium. They use that for... Legs of the NCAA tournament in men's basketball. And uh, it, it, it's, it's pretty exciting to see him going to a venue so large right now. But, uh, yeah, I just want people to understand that. For as much of the deporting as we want, and Tom Holman's alluded to it multiple times when he's come on the show, he says he needs about 100 and 120 days to get things kind of reined in. And a lot of that is going to be the behind-the-scenes policies that are going to be changing which are going to be the direct opposite of what's going on with the Biden administration right now. There's going to be taxes, there's going to be tariffs, and if those don't work, there's going to be sanctions. And we are going to coax these countries into taking their citizens back. However, you're not going to get it from this administration. Uh, Greg Abbott, another, you know, why is Greg Abbott sending people all over the country? Because he can't send them back to Mexico. I, I just want people to understand that. Like, they can repel people from coming in like what they're doing right now. But it is almost impossible for the state of Texas to get citizens from 130 different countries and think that they could just put them on planes and send them back there. First of all, the amount of security that goes into things like that, it's not like they just put them on a passenger plane with their belongings and let them. These people are going to have to be chained to the floor when they go back to their countries, especially if you're trying to load up big planes. So if they're going to a country they don't want to go back to, which is all of them, all of them. 
And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that have come in from the Middle East and Africa. They don't have repatriation flights there. They, they think it's like a sign of, uh, you know, you're, you're like a traitor if you leave your country and try to claim asylum in another country. So you'll be a political prisoner immediately. You, you didn't have a reason for leaving to claim asylum, but you'll definitely have one going back to your own country is what I'm trying to say. So for as frustrating as it is, and believe it, doesn't hit home more than anybody than it does with us because we like to host all of the people who are trying to fight the good fight here on steak for breakfast. You just have to look at the application of law and how the constitution doesn't really apply to these people because number one, it doesn't protect them. Number two, their countries don't give a shit. So very frustrating, but it's the way that things are. And, uh, no, did you happen to see, it's the one thing I didn't touch on with Christina, Bob. And right before we jump into the CR that was signed yesterday, we, we kind of previewed it a little bit here. Did you see the new terminology that they're using for illegal aliens who are crossing the border? Newcomers? How do you like that? I don't. Come on, man. I saw a fact sheet online from the White House. It means it's Newcomers. official. I'm going to read no, it. That's, that's <laughs> the shistiest of shistiness ever. Yeah. It's part of that Senate agreement, the Bipartisan Border Agreement on Funding for Border Operations. This bill includes $1.4 billion for cities and states who are providing critical services to newcomers who would expedite for work permits for the people who are in this country and qualify. Guess what? They all qualify, according to the Biden regime. Newcomers. Hmm. Sounds like potential citizens to me. Well, no, they, they've been calling them undocumented citizens, mm. too, as well. Mm -hmm. Undocumented it's Americans? Yeah. That's a good one from the Connecticut senator a few weeks ago on Meet the Fake Press. So the theatrics, of course, were on full display in the House of Representatives yesterday, ahead of the continuing resolution being passed in the House and sent on to the Senate, where it was passed there as well. I don't know. <laughs> no one complains more on continuing resolution day better than Texas Congressman Chinless Chip Soy. Let's hear him. Thank the Speaker. The gentlelady, it's important to note, voted against the FRA last year because specifically noted in the gentlelady's press release, the side deals that are being put in place in this exercise that we're going to be putting forward next week in appropriations bills, those side deals were not in the law that the gentlelady just referred to. To be very clear, everyone's going to go around talking about following the deal that was cut last year under the FRA that we're spending at a certain level. The fact is another $70 billion was added in side deals, and that's why the gentlelady opposed the FRA last year. But those side deals are a part of this agreement that is plussing up and funding the bureaucracy that is at war with the American people. That is the truth. That is the truth no matter how much people want to gloss over it on either side of the aisle, but particularly this side of the aisle. Because this side of the aisle wants to be able to campaign on border security. And you know what? The border's not secure. And we're going to be passing a continuing resolution that continues to fund a DHS that refuses to secure the border. These Americans are dead. These Americans are dead because illegal immigrants, illegal aliens were released into the United States by this administration. Lake and Riley, one week ago today, was alive and well, and now she's gone because somebody from Venezuela was released on mass parole in El Paso, went into the United States, went to New York, was released after assaulting somebody, moved to Athens, Georgia, and killed this young woman because of the policies of the radical progressive Democrats that my colleagues on this side of the aisle want to campaign against but refuse to use the power of the purse to stop. 
James Madison gave us the power of the purse, and we should darn well use it. With that, I'm going to yield uh, up to three minutes to the gentleman from Arizona. And he would turn it over to Eli Crane. And here's the thing. Chip Roy is correct. However, at this point in the game, government shutdown probably hurts Republicans more than it does Democrats. Mm. They've been using the thing that we said they were going to use as part of their campaign strategy and Joe Biden's re-election campaign. And that's simply talking about how Speaker Mike Johnson is working at the direction of Donald Trump to sway, ebb the tides in the House of Representatives. They talked about it with the Senate agreement on the border fake security in real life amnesty bill that, you know, talks about the newcomers. Everyone says at the direction of Donald Trump, Mike Johnson refuses to bring that to the House floor. And if there was a government shutdown, I feel like they would do the exact same thing. Now, with some developments that have happened over the course of the last week, we saw some major redistricting in New York, which looks like we're going to be able to keep a lot of the House representatives, albeit their squish, numbers matter. And we'll talk about that with Gavin Wax, who's going to be joining us in just a little bit. But I think the most prudent thing right now is to see if what they're working on in the House of Representatives is something that's going to actually work in regards to funding the government. Because when you look at the two different options we have, the 12 appropriations bills passed by the 22nd of March, or the across-the-board one-year CR, which will bring a 1% cut across the board, both of them are better than a government shutdown. And I think what we need to do is not be Steve Bannon's and believe in Speaker Johnson a little bit. Bob Good, who now heads the Freedom Caucus as the chair, took to the floor as well and kind of hammered home some of the things that we see every time it becomes end of the continuing resolution day up on Capitol Hill. And that's that the Uniparty eventually succeeds. The 100 Republicans who always vote with Democrats when the House rules are suspended and these things get passed. Let's hear him. I stand here today again opposing the status quo of more reckless spending in Washington. This House is supposedly run by Republicans, and yet here we are continuing to pass the Pelosi-Biden-Schumer spending levels and the policies connected to them, predictably with a majority of Democrat votes. As a matter of fact, this morning, I had a Democrat member tell me in a private conversation, he likes it when we're in charge because nothing changes, but we get the blame for it because we have the majority. Mm. Our national debt continues to skyrocket. Uh, we're at nearly $35 trillion. That's a number that's hard to grasp. It's actually more than $100,000 per citizen, and that figure just grows by the day. Bidenflation is further exacerbating the crisis, and the Congressional Uniparty is perpetuating it on a daily basis. Thankfully, we may be getting some future relief with the just-announced resignation of the Democrat minority leader in the Senate, but some of us here in the House, we came here to actually represent the American people, to do what we said we would do, and we did not mean constantly kicking the can down the road, passing more continuing resolutions that hurt the American people. Many people in this body are scared of a government shutdown. And I will acknowledge that government shutdown is not the ideal thing, but it's not the worst thing. The worst thing is keeping in place the Biden-Pelosi-Schumer policies that are destroying the country and bankrupting our kids and our grandkids. Worse yet, they're keeping in place the border invasion, the very invasion that we campaign against, the very invasion that is the greatest threat to our country. 
But that's what's going to happen here today. We're going to fund that border invasion for another week as a bridge to another spending bill that will keep all the policies in place and actually increase them over the Pelosi Schumer levels from back before we had the majority. We could have passed a, a full-year stopgap spending bill that would have cut $100 billion. We could have attached to it border security to stand up for the American people. As a bonus, that would eliminate thousands of earmarks for tens of billions of dollars more. But here we are today. True leadership involves making difficult decisions. Cutting spend is difficult. That's why nobody does it here. But when will the debt matter in this chamber beyond a campaign talking point? I urge no, and I yield back. And the frustration, you know, as it is always when it's time for these votes, is bubbling over. There's no excuse. The only thing that makes me feel optimistic about this is if we can get to one of these two, the 12 approps, or the one-year CR with the 1% cuts, we can immediately get to work on the 2025 budget, which has been something that has handcuffed House Republicans every single time that they've had the majority. They just don't get working on this stuff until we're running up on Christmas break. So to be able to start hitting them before the summer even starts, coming at the end of March on the 22nd. I don't get how it's allowable for them to have, like, this is your job, and mm -hmm. they can't, like, if I, if I didn't do my book report on time, I'd probably get a bad grade. Well, the thing is, historically, at least in the modern era, and let's just talk about the last couple sessions of, of Congress where we've had the majority, this time with Kevin McCarthy and last time with Speaker Ryan, book ending around a Nancy Pelosi sandwich. Barf. <laughs> they have set up the congressional calendar. Now, Republicans at times don't like it, speak out against it, but they all adhere to it. You would think that the congressional calendar would be a little bit different if they're able to hit choice A or B and the end of this continuing resolution to get things started a little bit sooner. It seems like everyone from the dynamic freshman class that we've got in there to some of the ones that have been in there for a couple sessions, 2020 to present day, and that would be Speaker Johnson, Andy Ogles, Tim Burchett, and, and you know, Troy Nels, Byron Donalds, Matt Gates. They seem like they, they have the motivation to do the right thing, but again, We've got 22 days to figure out which one of these two options they're going to be able to get done. And I guess we're just going to have to see how it kind of shakes out. Guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcast, or iHeartRadio, please make sure you're following the show and that it's downloading to your electronic device. In addition, find us on social media. Twitter, get our true social on Instagram is where we have accounts. Follow them. Hit the notification bell. Never miss out on all the great stuff we've got going on here down the show. Like sitting in with Indiana Congresswoman Hochin, who's going to be joining us for the first time in just a bit. I've got one more clip here before we jump in with her. Corey Mills issued a statement on behalf of his congressional account following the vote for the CR yesterday. Obviously some disappointment there. Let's hear him. Hey, everyone. Congressman Corey Mills, Florida's 7th District. Well, unfortunately, for a fourth straight time, the House of Representatives has now passed another continuing resolution at the Nancy Pelosi post-COVID spending levels. We are at $34 trillion in debt. Next year, we'll see an interest payment that exceeds our entire national defense annual spending. And meanwhile, we are not getting back to our pre-COVID spending levels, where it should be at around 1.477 a year, but over $2 trillion. 
We can't sustain this and the American taxpayers with the cost of increase in living, the rate of inflation rising faster and higher than minimum wage, cannot sustain this out of control spending by DC. I have voted against every single continuing resolution. I stick to my principles on making sure that we get 12 single point appropriation bills with the necessary cuts, reforms, and an economic growth strategy that allows our GDP to national debt ratio to finally see itself where it needs to be. We have to get back to energy security. We have to secure our border. But the number one priority right now should be on strengthening our economy because that is the greatest national security threat. The Senate will continue to try and lie to the American people under the two Democrats of Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell, claiming that they are the reason that the, the government is still actually able to fund itself. But here's the reality. The House of Representatives has not only passed H.R. 1 to secure our border or to get lower cost energy or H.R. 2 to secure our borders, but we funded actual bills for military construction, veteran affairs, Department of Defense, energy and water, state and foreign ops. Nearly 70 to 80 percent of our government's funding could be done right now if the Senate would take up the bills that they refuse to take up since September, October of 2023. We must continue to fight. We must not lose our faith. And we must know that there's people like myself and those who voted against this CR who want to get fiscal responsibility back in D.C. We'll continue to fight, but we need your support. Continue to back us. Continue to support us. Continue to make sure that your representative is doing the right thing. Thank you, and God bless. And it's like we tell you all the time here on the show, an overwhelming majority of the of them up there on Capitol Hill are absolute pieces of shit who have 0% of your interest in mind. Corey Mills is not one of them. A lot of these guys in the freshman class aren't them. Outside of the New York and California delegations of the House of Representatives freshman class, they're all garbage. But when you look at where we're at right now, the fact that it was a big week for McFormer leadership... In the Republican Party, we'll get to that in our second edition of the podcast today. There are some good things that are going to lead towards that generational change in the House of Representatives, the Republican Conference overall, that we always talk about here on the show. We're going to be talking about that a little bit more with Indiana Congresswoman Erin Hochin right now. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. It's an unpleasant truth that 42% of Americans are obese and 79% of Americans are overweight. That's practically one in every two Americans living day to day with every minute counting down to the end of an unhealthy existence. It's time to change that and make Americans healthy again. You've probably heard about weight loss injections that can help you get back into that right mindset and help curb those cravings so you can focus on what's really important. New Hope Wellness has changed thousands of lives and maybe it can change yours too. They are American family owned and operated with the goal of saving lives. With convenient telehealth options, you can speak to a licensed professional from the comfort of your own home, and all products are delivered discreetly to your front door. Visit newhopewellness.com forward slash state and start your journey to a better you. That's newhopewellness.com forward slash state to get your free consultation and 100 bucks off your first order. 1-800-527-2150. Make America healthy again. All right, joining us next on the show today, this Big Friday edition of the State for Breakfast podcast, had the opportunity to catch up with her this week for the first time. She's the congresswoman who represents Indiana's 9th Congressional District. Really excited to be talking to Erin Hochin. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we've got a very busy week up on Capitol Hill. We're seeing 
some stuff develop in, in real time. We've got the Hunter Biden deposition going on, which I'm sure a lot of eyes are on. It does take eyes off the U.S. southern border, though, which is our biggest concern and where we want to start off with you. You know, we know you were down there with Speaker Johnson uh, recently in his most recent trip down to Texas. We know there is going to be visits made there this week from former President Donald Trump and Joe Biden in Eagle Pass and Brownsville. However, uh, a lot of the partisan rhetoric and visits, you know, bring awareness to the American people, but more people are starting to experience this in the places that they live now. And I think that's the big issue, you know, with what's going on with the foreign supplemental aid package and the pushback from Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell in the Senate on that and stymieing HR2, it seems like we don't have any movement on securing the U.S. southern border. So from your vantage point right now and how you've been working behind the scenes, what can you tell our listenership is the absolute latest on all of this? Yeah, so thank you. I did visit the border. Um, I've actually visited twice. It was one of the first trips I made when I got elected to Congress was to just go there and see it for myself. Um, and it is a, it is an unmitigated disaster. Um, the president could, if he chose to, he could implement the Trump era policies that worked to secure the border, uh, remain in Mexico, um, just following the Immigration and Naturalization Act um, and just not violating the law that we already have on the books. But uh, he's not he's chosen not to do that for three years. Uh, that has resulted in nearly 10 million uh, illegal migrants who've crossed the border under this administration. If you include the gotaways, that's greater than the population of 36 states. It's greater than the population of our most populous city in the United States, New York City. It's unsustainable. Um, what I have heard from my constituents, and I've said this before, is every state is now a border state. You know, my district is 1,200 miles for the, from the southern border, but it is a border state because we're dealing with uh, fentanyl and um, methamphetamine that's coming across the southern border. Uh, we've ha- seen overdose deaths uh, due to fentanyl in my district, 200 and counting. Um, we're seeing the ramifications of, of this population crisis uh, and, and it's unsafe for national security. So uh, the latest, of course, is that we did impeach uh, Secretary Mayorkas Correct. on February 13th. Um, some people asked us why, you know, why we would impeach Secretary Mayorkas, uh, you know, when when Biden is ultimately responsible and he is. But Mayorkas took an oath to defend the Constitution of the United States from our enemies, foreign and domestic. And uh, his uh, dereliction of his responsibilities on the southern border certainly warranted his impeachment, in my view. And um, we have to keep the pressure on, you know, if the president thinks that he doesn't need us to pass a law and can do it by uh, executive order or just enforcing our existing laws. Great. I hope he'll do it. We need to secure the border. We must. If he thinks he can't and he needs us to pass a law, we already passed H.R. 2, the Secure the Border Act, you know, eight months ago that's waiting in the Senate to be passed. So this is squarely on uh, Senate Democrats and the president. No, it certainly is. And. You know, when, when you look at the part of the election season we're in right now, and I'm talking about the at the top of the ticket for the presidential and the stuff that we've seen, you know, kind of the execution of the Biden administration over the course of the last few weeks, you've got another chapter in the student loan debt forgiveness saga. You've got uh, more calls for amnesty when talking about congressional reform in regards to the immigration problem. It seems like that's the get out of jail free card that people like Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, and uh, Alejandro Mayorkas all use. Well, you know, we'd like to do this, that, and the other thing, but it's, it falls back on the shoulders of Congress for this problem when it wasn't as much of a problem 
during the last term in office before Joe Biden took over. You know, we saw him visit East Palestine, Ohio, and now he's going down to the U.S. southern border, albeit in Brownsville, where I believe yesterday they apprehended 12 people crossing illegally. Uh, it's, it's a little bit of a different type of border situation there than it will be for someone like Donald Trump, who's going to be visiting Eagle Pass, which is kind of like ground zero for the crisis that Joe Biden started when he took over the office. But as you see these political tricks kind of being fed into the mainstream now, as we are in an election season, how is it, uh, you know, the job of Congress to kind of hold them to account that it's nice to say things and to do things and to be on television like you care, but at the end of the day, we're still not solving the problem. So what are we going to do to fix it? I mean, there was, a, you know, one of the biggest leaks that came out of the meeting of the Big Four earlier this week was that Chuck Schumer just said, we need to take the border issue and shelve it. And now we need to work on focusing on funding Ukraine. And, and that seems really disheartening for people who are so passionate about getting this, you know, like you called it, a, a disaster and an invasion down there fixed. Yeah, I certainly think we have to use whatever tools we have available to us. I mean, people don't like generally don't like government shutdowns um, and they don't typically favor Republicans. But we are, we are at a place the last time we visited the border the, the residents there, the, the community leaders there were saying, if you can't shut the border, then shut the government down. And and I feel that um, I feel that from constituents in my district who are just quite frankly tired of just the rhetoric. One of the things that the Biden administration is best at is gaslighting the American people. And so that's what they did recently with their alleged border security bill, which was really just legalized amnesty. Yep. Um, it It's it, put into law all of the bad policies that ha that the Biden administration has has put forward that have led to this crisis in the first place. Um, if we would just have remained in Mexico, if we wouldn't parole people into the United States, the Immigration and Natural Naturalization Act requires detention. It says shall detain. It doesn't say shall let into the country under any circumstances. We know it's unsafe. We know it's a national security risk. But, you know, this most recent example of that is is the murder in Georgia of Lake and Riley. Um, that was an immigrant that crossed illegally in El Paso, Texas, and was paroled into the United States. He'd committed additional crimes and was in a sanctuary city and did not get deported. Uh, we need to see uh, really honestly, um, we're going to have to get our hands around this at some point. It may take uh, a Republican president. It may take bringing President Trump back to do that. It's certainly not going to get done under Joe Biden, as we've seen. I hope we could get something done on this um, immediately. But we are in a position right now where the Democrats have almost total control. And uh, that's exactly what they want. And if it is up to them, they will uh, let this continue to fester. Now, before we get into the purse strings, which is definitely something I want to talk to you about, we are, you know, less than 72 hours away from a potential government shutdown. Uh, there, there was Congressman Andy Biggs was on the show for one of our Tuesday editions of Steak for Breakfast. We're going to be catching back up with Representative Tom Tiffany next week. Both of them spent their time off the hill over the course of the last 10 days going down to the U.S. southern border. Congressman Biggs obviously represents part of the Tucson sector, so he's very familiar with that area. But Congressman Tiffany went down there as well. And one of the things that they're starting to kind of unpack for the American public is the the aspect of the NGOs who are involved in helping facilitate this crisis that we've got going on down on the border and how the money might be tied to federal funding. Because, you know, according to both of them, the last couple of times they were on the show, there's a lot of 
federal funding that goes into the annual budgets that are tied into funding these NGOs that are helping facilitate the migrant caravans coming all the way down from Central and, and South America up through Mexico into the U.S. southern border. And, and they're both showing on their, you know, congressional websites and uh like X profiles, videos of, you know, Red Cross and, and Catholic charities all setting up like these little camps, helping these people wait for a border patrol and then to get released into the United States. Do you feel moving forward as we kind of, you know, get to the bottom of what, aside from the executive orders and, and, and the lack of enforcement that Alejandro Mayorkas has kind of memoed into the Department of Homeland Security's mission for this uh, presidency under Joe Biden, do you think figuring out what's going on with these NGOs and maybe holding them accountable, maybe even taking away some of their funding is something that Congress is going to have to consider. Absolutely. Uh, when, when I visited the border, um, you know, we went to the migrant processing center. Um, we've heard a lot of criticism from the left of governor Abbott and him, you know, transporting migrants to these sanctuary cities. Well, first he, the state of Texas under governor Abbott is only responsible for transporting about 20% of those migrants and he takes them where they want to go. Uh, they say they want to go to these places because they're sanctuary cities. The other um, 80% of migrants are being transported to these areas by NGOs. And they are being they are facilitating human trafficking. They are facilitating child trafficking, drug trafficking, um, integrating um, the drug cartels into, into these sanctuary cities. I think they definitely need to have some oversight. And we should be looking at those funding options and, and not funding um, organizations that facilitate um, drug and human trafficking, which is exactly what the United States under the Department of Homeland Security, uh, not the Border Patrol agents, but right. but Mayorkas and Biden, the Biden administration are complicit in human trafficking and drug smuggling uh, under um, their current protocols at the border. It's it's uh, it's unconscionable, unsustainable, unbelievable. You know, it, it is. It's just it's wild the way that this has kind of been uncovered. You know, there's so many great journalists and uh, news organizations, Bill Malusian, people like Jorge Ventura that have been down there. But to see the amount of congressmen and women who have come down and actually spent time doing some investigations and not just talking about it, yourself included, obviously, uh, you know, has really helped clarify the picture for the American public. It's easy to blame the other side of the aisle for changes in policies, especially when the parties change who's sitting in the Oval Office. But what's gone on at the border this year, the millions of people who have come in and, and not including all of the getaways and, and ones that haven't been encountered, it's really alarming and it's definitely Definitely a huge national security risk. Don't you agree? Yes, absolutely. And the president, you know, I have said, if anyone went to the border and saw what I've seen, um, and I went to Uvalde on my first trip and Eagle Pass, and on this most recent trip went to Eagle Pass, uh, the president hasn't been there. Uh, he's going to Brownsville. That's not the epicenter of this problem. But if anyone has seen that, they would agree that this is um, this is a crisis. And it is a matter of national security. We don't know who they're letting in. We learned at this migrant center that if you show up without any identification, they will ask you for your name and take your word for it, take your picture, give you an alien ID. You just tell them when you were born and what country your country of origin is, and they'll put that on an ID and send you on your way. Um, we don't know who's coming into this country under the Biden administration, um, not to mention the fact that even if let's say it's 1% is intent on doing harm. That's thousands of people who could potentially be here uh, and, and pre preparing terror attacks or other things. And we've seen our national security experts warn that we could have a situation um, like Israel has had because we're literally letting them in, in the millions um, across our Southern border without any accountability. Um, it is, um, 
it's it's terrifying uh, as a mom and and just a constituent of, of this country. It is it is really terrifying. And the Biden administration absolutely could handle this problem tomorrow. Uh, they're just choosing not to. They're willfully choosing not to. And and I hope the American people will will hold them to account uh, at a minimum this November and elect uh, President Trump. No, it's the truth. And, uh, you know, we've tracked the, the former president very deeply on the show. This is the landing pad for everyone who worked in the former administration, everyone from former cabinet members like Ben Carson and David Bernhardt to Alina Haba, his lawyer and administration officials like Tom Holman and Rick Grinnell, our regulars on this show. Devin Nunes will be coming back soon once they finish off that big deal for Donald Trump's media group. But the last thing I want to touch with you on, and uh, we'll have a clearer picture of it by the time our Friday show airs. It's a little bit earlier in the week, but this is a developing story. And that's what we're doing with the potentiality of a government shutdown. We know there wasn't any kind of agreement done in the meeting of the big four on Tuesday. We also know that the House Republicans, especially those maybe closer aligned to the Freedom Caucus, are looking for something that has definite cuts interwoven into the budget and at least starts to address border security. Speaker Johnson is in a very difficult spot. There was those pre-negotiated and backroom deals that Kevin McCarthy kind of left on the table for him when he took over the speakership. It also ran directly into the holidays when this was all going down. You know, we're at a point right now where I don't think House Republicans are going to be too satisfied with just another two-step laddered CR. We're going to have to get something that's either poignant on getting those 12 appropriation bills, you know, interwoven into it, which is something that's being rumored to being worked on right now, or a year-long CR that addresses real cuts and, and those that are as much as 1% across the board total, kind of like uh, the Tom Massey ones that they had, uh, you know, signed into law last year. How do you see this situation kind of hashing out by the end of the week from where you're at right now? First, I'll say our, you know, our conference is is very diverse, and we've got a lot of um, Republicans in districts like mine that are pretty red, and then we have others that are in Biden districts. So it is a big challenge to get us all rowing in the same direction, and and that's okay. I'm I'm proud of the Republican Party for having a lot of diverse voices in this in this arena. We probably wouldn't have the majority if it weren't for some of our members. But you know, I I don't think that we. Um, we don't want a shutdown. We're not, we're not seeking a shutdown. We do want our appropriations members to finalize their bills and they're working hard to do that. You know, I oppose the last CR because I feel like we just keep continually kicking a can down the road. And sure. at some point you have to, you have to come to terms with getting our fiscal house in order. I'm frustrated that we haven't been able to do more on that front, but um, you know, our government really should live within its means, just like every household in America, just like every business has to plan a budget. And we haven't been doing that. So the reckless spending is a huge issue that, that under these CRs, we really haven't had the opportunity to tackle. Um, I have a bill that I'm dropping this week um, called the Funded Act. It's Facilitating Uninterrupted National Durability and Economic Discipline Act funded. I like um, that. It, is, uh, it will automatically implement a continuing resolution if Congress fails to do their work through a full appropriation cycle or the president fails to sign appropriations bills into law. And every quarter that we operate under this process will cut 1% of spending. So the only thing I think that the Democrats respond to is spending cuts. Yep. 
Uh, we typically get blamed for government shutdown. So let's take that off the table and just ratchet up the spending cuts till it gets painful. And maybe then and only then will they get their, you know, get to the table and really get serious about getting our fiscal house in order. You know, we do protect national security and 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 um, veterans in that. We don't want to harm our national security in this process, but we have to have some mechanism, in my view, that gets us to do our jobs fund the government and cut spending. And so I hope that that will be part of the conversation. It, it is, you know, certainly in in the spirit of the Massey plan. Um, quite frankly, if we could have passed the CR with the border months ago, um, I think we would have been in a better position. Um, and I think that given the opportunity to vote for a CR with border security in it, um, again, I think we would probably be able to pass something like that off the House floor. But we're getting to the point where we're we're supposed to be working on our 25 uh, fiscal numbers and we're yep. not finished with 24. So at some point, you got to wash your hands and say, OK, maybe we let the one percent Massey cuts kick in and and uh, do a long term CR and, and get to work on 25 and, and really try to get our hands around this, um, have a real come to Jesus meeting on on what we need to to accomplish and get together to do that. Um, I'm hopeful that by the end of this week, um, we will have a better answer for the American people than where we are today. But honestly, it can't we're not going to get run over and railroaded by the Democrats just because that's the position that they're they think they're putting us in. Uh, we do control the the chamber, the House chamber, and we should take advantage of that in these negotiations and stand as firmly as possible as we can on the side of fiscal conservatism uh, for the American people. No, that's I mean, that's the there there. You, you know, I remember very specifically it was the week of Christmas. Speaker Johnson, Chairwoman Stefanik went on Fox and Friends, and they had a long discussion about what's going on with the CRs heading into the holidays, in addition to the border security, the possibility of Joe Biden trying to send another supplemental aid package to Ukraine, which, you know, materialized in real time as soon as you guys got back up to the Hill. And I remember specifically Speaker Johnson saying, border security is the hill that House Republicans and myself in my speakership will die on. I, I will 100% take, uh, you know, all the responsibility for that. And at some point, we're going to get it done. If Chuck Schumer wants to play government shutdown chicken with the House Republicans and Speaker Johnson, you know, holding out the supplemental aid package for Ukraine and Taiwan and Israel, while not addressing anything to do with the border or the budget, then at some point, Republicans, I think it, you know, this late in session, like you said, already supposed to be working on budget stuff for 25. They can't blink in it. It doesn't appear, at least at this point of the week, that they're going to. Congresswoman, this has been awesome catching up with you for the first time. We are only hopeful that you will come back and join us at a later date. We're going to be live linking your congressional website in the show description today. But for anybody that wants to follow you, check out all the great work you're doing. I mean, you do sit on the rules committee. Uh, you're on the financial committee as well. Where can they find you on social media? It's houchin.house.gov on the web. Um, Aaron, it's uh, Congresswoman Aaron Houchin, I think on Facebook. Uh, we also have a Substack, Aaron Houchin's Substack. There, I'm going to be uh, writing about what the what what you don't hear in the mainstream media. Um, and uh, we started a podcast too, so um, we're excited to get everything going on uh, Spotify and everything anything else. Thank you for having me. This has been great. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. And we'll be looking to catch up soon. This is the Congresswoman who's representing Indiana's 9th Congressional District, Representative Eric Houchin. Thanks for joining us on the show. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank you. Guys, we're coming back with another all new edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. So sit back, relax, and let us change the way you consume your news.